All right. Hey, thanks, guys, for leading us in worship. Um, I love it because um, the songs that are picked out, so far each week, I think most of the time, the songs that have been picked out have fit really well with what we're talking about. And, uh, and I don't really share that beforehand with Mackenzie or whoever else it is that picks out the songs. And so to me, I love that because that right there is evidence of the Holy Spirit working on what's happening here. Okay, um, We're going to jump right in tonight because we have several things to cover as we wrap up our series on the Holy Spirit. This is the last week on the series of the Holy Spirit. Um, and, uh, and so, yes, we're going to go. Okay, um, We have a lot of things to cover. My hope, though, is, is that over the course of this series, uh, that you've grown in your understanding of who the Holy Spirit is and how he works in your life as a believer in Christ. And I pray that you've been encouraged as you've begun to grasp the reality of his constant uh, and, and active presence in your life. Okay, We're not just learning about somebody uh, or, or some, some being uh, that's, that's off and distant. Okay, If you're a believer in here, you're learning about the Holy Spirit who dwells inside of you. And so I hope that you're, you've uh, begun to grasp that over these last eight weeks. And I pray that even after this series is long over, that you would continually uh, dig into God's Word, that you would continue to study the Word of God and grow in your understanding of the Holy Spirit and go deeper in your relationship with God, because that's the goal of this life, right, is to just keep going towards God and moving into what He has for us uh, and, and just being uh, open to what he reveals to us. Real quickly, who can tell me what we talked about last week? Anybody? Yeah. <laughs> he strengthens and encourages the believer. Yes. Yes. <laughs> that's good. What did you say? Covers? I bet that's comfort. Maybe. Okay? Yes, you got it. You got it. He strengthens and encourages the believer. He comforts us. He gives us hope. He gives us joy. He gives us peace. He gives us assurance that we are children of God. These truths are all available uh, and true to you as a believer in Christ. Uh, again, this, every message in this series is available for you on the podcast, uh, and so you can go back and listen to that. The address to the podcast is at the bottom of your little note sheet there, and I would encourage you guys to do that. Uh, those can be helpful to you as you continue to study um, this on your own or with your parents. And I'd encourage you to use them as a resource. That's why we post them online for you to go back and listen to those and, and dig in, maybe uh, re-study uh, uh, something that you haven't or that you missed before that you didn't quite get the first time. Okay, we want you to grow. And so we're giving that uh, as, an, as a resource for you to have. Okay. Tonight uh, is the final message in this series, and it's called, uh, the title of it is that is, um, He Helps the Believer. Last week we read John 14, uh, 16 and 17. Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth. And we talked about how the word helper comes from the Greek word, uh, word parakletos, right? Uh, it, which means one called alongside to help. And last week we talked about how the Holy Spirit strengthens and encourages the believer. And, and those uh, are certainly ways that he helps us. But tonight we're just going to look at a few more ways um, that the Holy Spirit serves as a helper, as another helper uh, to every believer. So if you have your Bibles with you, open them to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. We're going to read verses 18 through 27 together. 
and then talk about how the Holy Spirit helps us uh, pray to God the Father. Okay, Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 27. You can follow along with me as I read it. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be, that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. Last week, we talked about how the Holy Spirit gives us hope as believers in Christ. And here in this passage, Paul is reminding us uh, of that hope that we have. He starts off by reminding the believer that there's no type of suffering on this earth in this life that, can, that we can experience that comes even close to touching uh, or comparing the ultimate glory that we will see in eternity. The greatest magnitude of pain that we can experience here on earth can't even touch the magnitude of, of joy that we'll experience in the new heaven and the new earth in eternity with God. And, and Paul says that the earth itself and all creation, all of creation, every created thing, longs for the day when everything is made new. See, when Adam sinned in the garden of Eden, the entire created world was subjected uh, to or subjected to the consequences of that sin. That's why we see things die and decay. It's why um, everything is deteriorating. Uh, foundations crack. You go outside and look at the parking lot and the sidewalks and things like that. We get potholes in the roads. Trees die and rot. We have air pollution, oil spills, uh, floods, mudslides, tornadoes. Okay, uh, earthquakes, hurricanes, wildfires, etc., etc., etc. All these things that are deteriorating, decaying, destroying creation. Nothing in all of creation is currently the way God originally made it, nor is anything uh, in creation currently the way God wants it to be. And the hope that we have as believers is the truth that God is going to one day restore everything. Paul says that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains, uh, the pains of childbirth. Now, my wife will soon be able to relate to this, okay? Um, she just went to the doctor today, and she's progressing along very nicely. So maybe this time next week, you won't see me because we'll have a new baby, okay? Maybe. We'll see, all right? But we were just talking. She was just talking to me last night about how um, she had this, this has this feeling of anticipation, and it's, it's kind of a mix of, of uh, nervousness about the pain. She remembers the pain, even though it's been four years, okay? Uh, the pain that she'll have to endure, but she's excited about the joy that she'll have when she holds our, our newborn son for the very first time. And so she, she, uh, she's, she's nervous about the pain, um, and in the same way, Paul says that creation longs for the day 
when the salvation uh, that has already begun in God's children will be completed. On that day, creation itself will be free from sin, sickness, death, and evil. And so like, like Brie is nervous as she's uh, not looking forward to the pain, uh, there's this anticipation in her uh, and the longing for the joy that's to come. In the same way, creation is not enjoying the pain that it's going through right now, and it's longing for the joy that's to come. And so like the rest of creation, God's people groan and long for the completion of his saving work. Now, Paul gives us a glimpse of the, uh, the already and the not yet. Okay, I can't remember if we've talked about this in here before or not. But when it comes to salvation, uh, it, there's this, this, this kind of theme of the already and the, and the not yet that Paul alludes to. In the book of Romans, he makes it clear that when we believe in the finished work of Christ, the moment that we believe in the finished work of Christ on the cross, and we put our trust in him alone, we're saved, we're justified. Uh, the penalty has been paid for our sin right there uh, by Christ, and that payment has been applied to us. And we've been adopted into the kingdom of God as one of his children. And we've been given the Holy Spirit then as a first fruit, like it's talking about here in, in uh, Romans chapter 8, as a first fruit or a down payment uh, as, as his guarantee uh, of our resurrection life that's to come. And so the first fruit is, is that down payment from God to us. The, the Spirit is that, excuse me, down payment of God from God to us as uh, a guarantee of what's to come, okay, for all who put their trust in Christ. And back in week five, we talked about sanctification, which is this process of becoming more like Christ while we're here on this earth. And that sanctification is the work of who? Anybody remember? What are we talking about in these eight weeks? The Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit helps us become more like Christ, okay? Um, but even though all who have put their trust in Christ are saved, the restoration is not yet complete, right? We still have, even as believers, we still have sin in our lives that the Holy Spirit convicts us of and, and, uh, and helps us uh, uh, walk away from and, and leave. But we still have that in our lives and we'll, we'll continue to have sin that gets revealed to us uh, until the day we die or until the day Jesus returns, okay? And, uh, and so, like I said, even in creation itself, uh, we see the decay, we see the effects of the sin. And so the restoration hasn't taken place yet. Um, so we long for the day that when, that when we, when we uh, will get rid of these decaying bodies, right? Our bodies are, are getting older, and, uh, and you might not feel the effects of it yet, but I'm starting to, and, uh, and there's probably others in this room that are. Um, I'm not going to name any names, Okay. Protect the innocent, right? I don't know why Jackson's pointing at Craig. Um, listen, listen. We're all going to grow old, okay? That's the nature of it. And Craig is not old. What's that? And someday Craig will too. Someday Craig will too. He'll grow old just like you and me, okay? So, but listen, we long, as believers, we long for... Uh, the resurrection body that's awaiting for us. We lo- I don't know about you guys, but man, I don't want to stay in this thing forever. I mean, I- I'm not that old yet, and I can already feel uh, pains that I haven't felt before and, and just things that I, I-, I see are-, are just deteriorating in me, okay? 
And, and so we long for these new perfect bodies, like the resurrection of, uh, body that Christ now has. And so while we can know that we're saved now, we also look forward to the hope that one day we will be made perfect. And in our longing, we pray to God, but sometimes we don't know how to, uh, to put into words what we feel. Have you ever had that desire to pray, but you're just like so full of, uh, I don't want to say emotion necessarily, but just that the, the yearning inside you uh, is so, uh, so heavy that, that you can't quite articulate what you're trying to say. You might find yourself mumbling or, st- or stuttering in, in earnestness instead of actually getting any coherent words out when you pray. Okay, the word groans here in Romans 8.26 refers to the intense size of fatigue that are approximate to weary, burdened creatures in a fallen world. The intense size of fatigue that are approximate to weary, burdened creatures in a fallen world. When you look at it in the context of the rest of this passage, you see that the groans come from the burden of living in this present evil world. Okay, they're groans of suffering. Creation has it, we have it, because we're part of creation. And as we pray to God for his kingdom to come and his will to be done, like Jesus teaches us in in Matthew chapter 6, sometimes the burden of waiting for that is so great that we let out these wordless utterings, and the Holy Spirit helps us by interceding to, to God for us and taking those wordless groans and making them into effective requests to God the Father. And God the Father always answers the requests of the Holy Spirit with a yes, because the Holy Spirit never prays anything for anything outside of the Father's will. And anybody know why? Because he's God. Right. The Spirit himself is fully God, and he cannot go against himself. Okay? So another way that the Holy Spirit helps the believer is by equipping the believer. And we're going to quickly look at three ways. And I know I'm kind of going through this stuff fast. Remember, it's on the podcast. And, and, and the goal behind this is to just stir up some uh, interest in your own heart that you'll go study this more, okay? So we're going to quickly look at three ways that he equips the believer. The first way is that he equips us with the power to spread the gospel. 1 John 5, 6 says, And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. It's the characteristic work of the Holy Spirit to bear witness to the fact that Christ came. We learned in week three that it's the inward work of the Holy Spirit to bring conviction of sin and the ability to see the truth of who Christ is and to understand the need for his atoning death for our sins. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. And now, we who have responded to that conviction of the Holy Spirit by putting our trust in Christ have been given the Holy Spirit to dwell inside of us and help us spread the gospel of Christ to others. The message of the good news. Acts 1.8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This promise was originally meant to the, uh, to the, for the disciples, but it now applies to each and every believer because every believer has the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of them. And so you have the power of God through the Holy Spirit that enables you to go and be his witness. Okay? The second way the Holy Spirit equips us is by giving us assistance under trial. Uh, and I want you guys to write these verses down because we, we don't have time to, to read into all of these. Okay? Um, you can go back and read them later, and I'd encourage you to do so. Luke 12, 11, and 12. They're up here too on the screen. Luke 12, 11, and 12. Matthew 10, 19, and 20. 
Mark 13, 11, and Luke 21, 14, and 15. In all these passages, Jesus is encouraging the disciples with a promise. Uh, and that promise is that when they're forced to defend their faith, the Holy Spirit will remind them of the words that they need to say. That promise then is fulfilled in Acts chapter 1, uh, verses 8 through 14. So you can read that as well. And I encourage you to. Again, the promise was initially for the disciples, but now it applies to us because we have the same Holy Spirit dwelling inside us. And so when we're called to defend our faith, whether we're literally put on trial for it uh, or we're just um, challenged by an unbeliever, we can be confident in the Holy Spirit and that the Holy Spirit who himself testifies about Christ will give us the words to say. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't have to be prepared to share the gospel. We need to do our part to study God's word and be prepared to carefully and thoughtfully explain the gospel to others. Colossians 4, 5, and 6 says, Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how to answer everyone. So the promise of the Holy Spirit's help here is not uh, for us to stop, it's not, it's not an excuse for us to stop preparing. Instead, it's meant to help us stop worrying. So as you grow in your relationship with Christ, as you dig in and study the Word of God, knowing that you have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside you, you can be bold in uh, sharing the good news of Christ with others because you know that as you prepare, as you hide the Word of God in your heart, that the Holy Spirit will recall that because he wrote it, okay? He knows it. He'll recall that in you and give you the words to say so that he can convict the hearts, okay? And you get to be a part of that sharing of the good news. The third way the Holy Spirit equips us as believers is by giving each one of us spiritual gifts. And I'm not gonna go into depth on that tonight for the sake of time because we devoted an entire night to it bef right before we started this series. We, we did a, a spiritual gifts assessment, right? Uh, and, and several of you were here for that. If you weren't and you want to know, if you're a believer in Christ, you have gifts. You have gifts from the Spirit. And uh, they're meant to be used to benefit the body and encourage the body. So uh, if you don't know what those are, you can see one of the leaders or myself afterwards, and, um, and, and we can get you hooked up with, with that and help you figure that out. But... Um, and you can also go back to the podcast and you can listen to the Body of Christ series that we did with Eureka Bible um, during, uh, the first part of the year back in January. Okay, We, we touched on that a little bit about the, some of the spiritual gifts to serve one another in the Body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says, Now you are the Body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. Verse 7 says, Now each, to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. As members of the body of Christ, each one of us is given a manifestation of the Spirit, a.k.a. a spiritual gift in our lives for the purpose of the common good within the community of believers. Every believer has something to offer because of what the Spirit gives to us. And so if you want to know more about spiritual gifts, um, I'm going to give you some more passages that you can read and you can look up and get more information on. Take these home with you. Study them with your parents, okay? And, uh, and learn and grow. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 13. Romans 12. Ephesians 4. And 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. 
1 Corinthians 12, 13, 12 and 13, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. Now, like I said before, there is just no way that we can fully explore all these things about the Holy Spirit in an eight-week series, let alone in one night, okay? We're, we're cramming a lot in tonight just, just to finish this out. Uh, in fact, we'll be spending the rest of our lives growing in our understanding of the Trinity alone, let, a, let alone just the work and role of the Holy Spirit, right? And so the more we learn and understand, the more it's going to affect the way that we live with God in our lives. And so in an effort to help you grow in your understanding, I just want to finish our time tonight um, by answering as best I can the questions that you guys turned in throughout this series. Um, and uh, there wasn't very many of them, and so um, I took three of them uh, that, that really, I think, will be helpful for us as we wrap this up, okay? So question number one, why is the Holy Spirit a ghost and not human? Well, first of all, okay, uh, older translations of the Bible, in particular the King James Version, uh, they, they use the Holy Spirit, or um, the Holy Spirit is referred to as the Holy Ghost. And this, this is an old English word, okay? Uh, the old English word ghost used in the King James Version, it's equivalent to the modern day term spirit, that we talk about spirit. And most modern day translations use the word spirit uh, instead, and so that's the term we'll use. We'll just refer to him as the Holy Spirit. But to answer the question, we need to go back in, uh, to what we learned about tr- the Trinity in week one. And we need to remember that God exists eternally as three distinct persons, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And anybody remember? God exists eternally as three distinct persons. And there's three, three truths. You shout it out if you know. They are all fully God. Each person is fully God. And say it. There is one God. God exists eternally as three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and each person exists as fully God, and there is only one God. So when it comes to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, there's no difference in attributes, okay? There's no difference in in characteristics at all. The only difference between them is the way that they relate to each other and to creation, The uniqueness of the Father is the way he relates as Father. The uniqueness of the Son is is in the way that he relates as the Son. And the uniqueness of the Holy Spirit is in the way that he relates as the Holy Spirit. And because of the existence of of three persons in one God is uh, beyond our understanding, we use the word person to speak of these differences in relationship. We say the person of God the Father, the person of God the Son, the person of God the Spirit. Uh, but it doesn't, take, it doesn't take on the same definition that it would when we refer to a human person because three human people, three human persons are three separate beings, right? Like if I had Maddie and Lydia and Hunter all stand up, they're three separate persons, but they're also three separate beings. That's not true with God, right? He exists eternally as three separate persons, and yet all of those persons are fully God, and there's only one God. It's one being. But because of our lack of, of having the mind of God uh, and, and our, our human understanding, uh, it seems to be the best word that we can use to describe the differences in relationship between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is something we can't fully grasp because in the human world, every person, like I said, is 
a human being. It's a different human being. But the distinction between the three persons of the Trinity is not a difference in being, but a difference in relationships. And so this difference in relationships then is what helps us understand why the Holy Spirit isn't human. And that's because Jesus is the only one of the Trinity who took on human form because, uh, because he's the only one of the Trinity who died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins and rose from the grave. God the Father did not do that. God the Holy Spirit did not do that. And because um, Jesus' death was complete and a perfect sacrifice and because his resurrection is final, then there's no need for God the Father or God the Spirit to take on human form. And so the Holy Spirit is not human himself, but instead now dwells in the hearts of every human believer. Every human who believes in the atoning work of Jesus Christ for their sins. Now, if that's not a satisfying enough answer to this question, then I'd encourage you to go back to listen to week one of this series again to help you get a better understanding of who the Holy Spirit is in relation to the Trinity. Okay? Question two. If you go to hell, do you actually die like rot in the ground or just feel like death? Okay? This question doesn't directly pertain to the Holy Spirit, but it kind of sets me up for the, for the last question that I want to answer tonight. Uh, and so I want, to, I want to just briefly touch on this. First off, hell is the final destination, okay? It's the final and ultimate place of punishment for those who die without trusting Christ. It's also known as the lake of fire. Uh, and, and all unbelievers will be thrown into it on the day of judgment. But that day hasn't happened yet. And since hell is reserved for those who have been sentenced and judged or judged and sentenced, excuse me, uh, we have to assume that, that no one is in hell at the present time. Now, there is, however, another place called Hades, okay? And the Bible talks about this. It's not the final destination for unbelievers, but it's more like a, a holding tank, if you will. And, and it's a place of torment and agony. When we die, our soul separates from our earthly body, and our physical body, yes, that rots in the ground, Okay? But our soul continues to live on in eternity. And for those who have chosen to reject Christ, when they die, their soul waits in torment in Hades until the, the coming final judgment of Christ. And when that day comes, they will then be thrown into the lake of fire where they, where they will experience uh, very real, very conscious, very physical, very painful torment forever without relief, without relief, forever. And so... Um, so I hope that answers the question, okay? I'm, I'm not sure who wrote these, but if you have more questions on that, feel free to, to come see me or one of the leaders afterwards. But if, for more on that, I would encourage you to read Matthew chapter 13, 36 through 43. Luke chapter 16, 19 through 31. And Revelation 20. 14 and 15. Matthew chapter 13, 36 through 43. Luke 16, 19 through 31. And Revelation 20, 14 and 15. And starting next week, excuse me, uh, Craig is doing a three-week series on the book of Revelation. So uh, it's going to be pretty awesome. And, uh, and uh, he's going to touch more on, on this, this stuff, okay? So I want to encourage you to, to come and be ready uh, to listen So question three, how do I know if I've been chosen? We talked about this a little bit back in week four when we talked about how the Holy Spirit 
uh, gives us a new spiritual life through regeneration, right? The regeneration is, is the new life that we have in Christ, the new spiritual life that we have in Christ. Uh, and it's given to us by the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us that before the beginning of time, God had already determined who will follow him. But that's not meant to make you question or worry about whether or not you've been chosen. In fact, the fact that you even care about whether or not you've been chosen tells me that God is at work in your life drawing you to himself. If a person longs to believe in Jesus, they have the desire to repent of their sin and they they see the only hope for eternal life is in Christ alone, then that person will without a doubt be given eternal life in Christ. John 6, 37 says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. That's Jesus talking. He promises to receive everyone who comes to him and trusts him for salvation. And yet we skip down then to verse 44 and we read, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. So we can't deny that this isn't uh, excuse me, we can't deny that this is the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, excuse me. This is the work of God, okay, alone that brings us salvation. God the Father draws us to himself in his grace. God the Son paid the price and made salvation available to us. And God the Spirit convicts our hearts of our sin and gives us new spiritual life in Christ through regeneration the moment we believe. Now, as far as trying to understand who God chooses, I'm not sure that we can fully grasp that one, nor should we spend all our, our time uh, in, in, in energy trying to figure that one out. Only God knows. Only God knows. Okay? But here's what we can grasp. And I'm going to say this a couple times because it's kind of a tongue twister, but it makes sense. Okay? Here's what we can grasp. No one goes to hell who doesn't deserve it. And no one who goes to heaven does deserve it. No one goes to hell who doesn't deserve it, and no one who goes to heaven does deserve it. Okay? God's nature is unchanging. He's an eternal, holy, and just God, and he's an eternally loving God. And because he's holy and just, he's incompatible with holy man. Let's use fire as an example, okay? Let's say we have the fire pit going out there, and, and we're cooking hot dogs, and one, one of you guys drops your hot dog into the fire, and, and instead of trying to grab it out with the stick, you reach your hand in there and try and grab the hot dog. What's going to happen? You're going to burn your hand, right? Your hand is incompatible with fire, right? Fire by its nature is hot, isn't it? You can't change that. You stick your hand in it a hundred times, you're going to get burned a hundred times, right? It's incompatible, God is holy by nature, and he doesn't change. We are unholy by nature, and we must be changed in order uh, to become compatible with God. By nature, we deserve death and eternal torment. Hence, no one goes to hell who doesn't deserve it. Everyone who goes to hell deserves it because we all deserve it, okay? Are we clear on that? The problem is that we can't change ourselves. And God won't change himself. We can't change ourselves and God won't change himself. And so the only solution then is for God to change 
us. Right? So Christ came and died on the cross as a payment for the sin of all who come to faith in him. And when they come to him in faith, then they're transformed by the Holy Spirit into a new creation that's holy and pleasing and now compatible with God. The transformation is purely a gift of God's grace alone. We can't do anything to earn it on our own, and we, and we most definitely don't deserve it, and therefore no one who goes to heaven does deserve it. It's given to every believer as a gift by God himself. Now, the message of salvation, the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel, that's free for everybody. Everybody in here, whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, that message is for you to hear. But only those who receive it will come to faith in Christ. Romans 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. See, the invitation is for all people, but the gift of salvation is only for those to whom God gives the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And only God knows who those people are. And those who do receive it are simply discovering that behind their willingness, behind their willing decision to come and believe in Christ lies the invisible work of the Father who all along was drawing them to himself. So if you genuinely desire to come to Christ, then you don't have to worry about uh, whether or not you've been chosen. Jesus will not turn you away if you come to him. He promises that. And all those who have no desire to follow Christ, they won't care if they're chosen or not anyway because they've rejected him. So if you want to read more about what the Bible has to say about this, then um, here's some scripture references that you can look up later for further study. John chapter 6. We read a little bit of that. Revelation 3.20. That's the, behold, I stand at the door and knock. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. Romans 9. And Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. Okay, and these are just more scripture references. This, I just want you to know what the Bible says about these things so that uh, as a believer that the Holy Spirit can, can uh, uh, apply that to you as you read it, okay? And, and as a non-believer, if you're an unbeliever in here that that the Holy Spirit could convict your heart as you read those things and you understand those truths and that God would draw him, you to himself. I hope that, that you've been both encouraged and challenged as we've gone through this series together. And if you're a believer in here, I pray that you continue to grow deeper in your relationship uh, with God through the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you're not a believer in here, I pray that God opens your heart and draws you to himself so that you too can receive the gift of salvation that's offered to you through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 2.12. If there would be a theme verse, I guess, for this series, it would be this right here. Okay? So this is one, uh, this is one I'm currently memorizing, and I would invite you guys to join me in. 1 Corinthians 2.12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, 
but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And, and, and my prayer is that we grasp that more and more each and every day. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you give the Holy Spirit to each and every believer. Thank you uh, that this, the Spirit, uh, we don't have the Spirit from the world. We've been given the Spirit who comes from God, who helps us to understand the things freely given to us by God. It helps us understand our salvation that's been given to us by you. By grace alone, we've been saved through faith. The gift of faith itself, the gift of believing in you itself is a gift. It's nothing that we can earn. It's nothing that we can conjure up. It's nothing that we can work uh, out for ourselves. It's just simply something that you give to us out of your, your uh, eternal and, and uh, perfectly spotless love for us. Thank you for that. And I pray that as every believer in here uh, uh, just hears those words, that they would, would, would give you thanks and praise for that. And I pray, God, in, for the, the, uh, those in here that don't yet know you, that somehow through uh, this series, through the time that, that we have been uh, speaking the truth about who the Holy Spirit is and, and what he does in our lives, that, that in the midst of that, that the Holy Spirit himself uh, has begun to convict hearts, that you, God the Father, has drawn, uh, ha- has begun to draw these people to you. And, uh, and that they would come to you and receive your gift of salvation by believing in you, by putting their trust in you and following you for the rest of their life here on earth as they long for, along with the rest of those who believe, as we long for the day that we will be made perfect. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you uh, help us communicate that longing and that you help us uh, by interceding for us to our Father. Thank you that you equip us. Thank you that you encourage us. Thank you that you uh, uh, sanctify us and that you grow us and that you change us. Thank you for this time together. And I pray that it has been uh, uh, encouraging to one another, but most of all, God, that it's been glorifying to you. We love you, and we do give you all the glory and the honor and the praise. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. All right, next week, Revelation.